Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. I am Danielle Tate, the Maternal Medical Director for TIPQC and the Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist. Today, I have a very special guest with us, Dr. Natalie Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez is an Associate Professor in the Department of Community Health and Preventive Medicine at Morehouse School of Medicine. Dr. Hernandez received her Master of Public Health from Emory University's Rollins School of Public Health and a Bachelor of Arts in Anthropology from Stony Brook University in New York. She earned her PhD in public health, as well as a graduate certificate in interdisciplinary women's health from the University of South Florida. Dr. Hernandez was a Health Resources and Services Administration Maternal and Child Health Leadership Trainee and Epidemiology Trainee. She was also a Stature Health Leadership Institute Health Policy Postdoctoral Scholar at Morehouse School of Medicine. And can I say how excited I am to have you here today, Dr. Hernandez. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dr. Tate. Good to see you. Absolutely. Well, if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about your background and how you were able to get started in quality initiative work. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a lot of it starts from, you know, your beginnings and where you come from. And so I grew up in the South Bronx in New York, which is one of the poorest counties in the United States, um, and witnessed a lot of inequities that were occurring around health, particularly with the women in my family, Um, you know, various issues, preterm births, all of that stuff that was happening. And then um, always knew I wanted to do this type of work, but was still sort of finding myself. And then being a mom and having postpartum depression really led me to say, okay, what can we do to solve these issues? hearing about maternal deaths, sitting on Georgia's Maternal Mortality Review Committee, you know, it was like, well, we know what the issues are. We need to do something to solve them. Um, And then being connected to a medical school is where, you know, really led for us to start thinking about quality improvement initiatives and what that means for the communities that we serve in Georgia, in the South, and beyond that. That's great. Um, Can you talk a little bit about your transition from the East Coast of the country to the South? I can imagine they're probably very different, but maybe at the same time, the same. Yeah, yeah, they're different and the same. You got it right there, Dr. Tate, you hit it. Um, But is it the nail on the head? Um, I think a lot of the inequities, particularly, and people, you know, you think about urban versus rural, you know, in New York, well, growing up in New York City, 
you know, metropolis, you know, you go, you get out to other areas of New York state, but it's not as rural as what I've experienced in the South, um, particularly when it comes to access to healthcare. You know, in the South, you know, half of a lot of our counties don't have any type of um, maternity care providers, you know, they're called maternity care deserts um, and travel. Like in New York, we had a pretty sophisticated transportation system. The South doesn't really have that, even in Atlanta, where they spent millions of dollars on creating um, MARTA, it still only goes to certain areas, right? Um, and so I think, I think in New York, a lot of those inequities are more hidden, but in the South, they're more pronounced and really related to the legacy and the history of what occurred in the South around slavery, around redlining, where resources are allocated, um, and then some of that structural racism that's pretty overt um, in the South, whereas in New York, it's there. It's just a little bit hidden. You know, it's, it's more like system wide and in the South, it's system wide and it's pretty overt from the communities you work with, too. That's a great way to compare. So it sounds like we may have a discussion, an issue, a focus area that really includes the entire country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And every what people forget is that we're all interconnected, right? Um, like for maternal mortality, Black women in the South are three times more likely to die when in states like in New Jersey and New York, the inequities, Black women are seven to eight times more likely to die um, from pregnancy-related complications. The this inequities are so vast, I think, in New York or in the Northeast because it's it's is more about racism when in the south like white rural women experience the same challenges that black rural women do um and so laws that were created to disenfranchise one population wind up disenfranchising all communities because if you restrict something for one group it's going to spill over into the other groups as well so we just see really big challenges at the south in particular faces when it comes to access to care, when it comes to quality care, um, and then being able to reach care as well. Yeah, and I can imagine just the migration of Americans. We are definitely a group of people that will relocate for several reasons. And I can see how that could impact what we see in the different areas of the country as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we were so I'm definitely fortunate to have you come speak at our annual meeting this year for TIPQC. And you really focused on community engagement. First, thank you for that presentation. It was amazing. But thank you. if we could just dive a little bit deeper into your work in community engagement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you, you can't work in community or think about quality improvement without having community input, right? Um, you know, these are persons that have lived experiences and we can learn so much from someone's lived experience in order to create interventions or quality improvement initiatives that are gonna work for that person. Um, and then also, you know, policy wise, you know. Um, so with community, what we needed to do was just dig deep, like what are some of the assets? Because again, what people tend to focus are on deficits. And we like to know what's going right first or what was right about your birthing experience. 
and then find out what went wrong. Because if you're going to develop quality improvement initiatives, then you want to focus on the things that are right and replicate what's right, and then figure out how to address the gaps or the deficiencies that existed. Um, and so what we first did involving the community was listen to them, plain and simple. And what we heard from the community is that they want to be listened to, right? We conducted 90 interviews with Black women and other women of color who almost died from pregnancy-related complications, either during pregnancy or after. Um, and the first thing that we heard them say was that they felt like they weren't listened to. And so that was something that was really important for us to just start off the bat, you know, how can we help you? What, you know, what do you love about, what did you love about your experience and your birthing experience? And then what were some of the gaps? And it was just a simple one open-ended question. Tell me about your birth experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Um, and that led us to really think about having community informed solutions um, and what does that look like? And so since a lot of people felt that they weren't listened to, the first thing we thought about was, well, as a medical school, we need to train our providers on how to be able to listen and provide respectful care. Because then the other thing was, I'm not feeling like I'm listened to, but then also feel like when I'm receiving care, I'm being ignored, I'm being dismissed, I'm not provided the respect as the expert of my own body to the challenges that I'm experiencing. Um, and so um, our colleagues from our Department of Aesthetics and Gynecology at Morehouse School of Medicine, Dr. St. Louis, um, as well as a colleague from Emory decided to create a respectful maternity care simulator um, so that we train providers on how to provide respectful care to their patients um, and how to interact with those that provide support for patients. Um, and then we also, what we heard from the maternal near miss interviews was that, you know, black women and birthing people are not a monolithic population and they have diverse experiences um, and, you know, relationships look different. So what if I'm a black woman, but I'm married to a white man? Um, what type of respect um, or care am I gonna get? And we've heard from situations where the white partner was being, you know, was being addressed, but not the patient who's pregnant themselves. And so again, we took a lot of the scenarios that we've learned from the, the maternal near miss for our simulator um, and, you know, had really robust discussion on how you would change that narrative, gave examples of what disrespectful care looked like, and then came back and, you know, and as a team thought about what would respectful care look like and then within a clinical care team, the role of the maternal fetal medicine specialist, the role of the nurse practitioner, the front desk person, right? Because everyone assumes that the disrespect comes from the physician. And sometimes it's that first experience you get walking into an office and how someone greeted you that day. And so we were really cognizant of everything that it takes. But again, it was because we were community informed because we listened and we had the lived experiences of the patient population that we were targeting. Um, so that's one example. Another thing that we heard from, you know, women and birthing people was that 
um, you know, they lacked a lot of the social support that they needed during their pregnancy um, and beyond. You know, not everyone is in a two parent household or or has a partner or has family like I'm from New York. My family moved to Florida. Um, my husband's family is in Louisiana. And so we didn't have social support. And so, you know, I hired a doula. Um, but, you know, we know that there's limitations with scope of practice on what people can do. Um, but they do provide a lot of great social support. And so we developed a program called our Community-Based Perinatal Patient Navigation Program. You know, I'm a woman with a PhD and our healthcare system is still very complicated to me. So I can imagine someone who, you know, first of all, if they're from out of state, you mentioned migration, we know that we have a lot of Northerners that are coming to the South. You know, things look different with insurance, things look different navigating the healthcare system. And so how do we train people with lived experiences to be able to deliver supportive care and be integrated into a clinical care team so that everyone is working together to provide the best possible care that they can to the communities that they serve. Um, and so that program, um, we're hitting the ground now, um, just hired some two um, people that went through our training program um, to be integrated into one of our safety net hospitals in Georgia and provide that social support. These are people, again, from the community that are trained as doulas, they're trained as patient navigators, community health workers, and lactation support. Um, and we did four different trainings because when we think about solutions, we can create the best interventions, but if policy-wide things don't change, then these are just Band-Aids, right? And so how do we create solutions that can also inform policy and practice so that people can deliver the care that they need to deliver. And then also it become a sustained model. And so how do we think about Medicaid reimbursement for people that are serving in sort of these different roles? Unfortunately, in Georgia, doulas don't get Medicaid reimbursement. Community health workers are not recognized as, you know, uh, a trade. Um, and, you know, there's still some that you can get some reimbursement for lactation support, but not as robust as we want. Um, and so, again, listening to community, having community informed, that was important. That is not a one and done. But how do we think about solutions that can be sustained over time and that community organizations or others can actually own? And that's really rare, particularly for academic institutions to think in that way. That is definitely rare, and I will see. I will say very innovative. Um, just to start with the patient and end with the patient in the sense of community, mm -hmm. um, because just like anywhere else in life, it takes many resources to be at your best or to exactly. Yes, and it should mirror that in healthcare. Um, and just listening to you talk, I also thought about the fact that here where I am, I don't necessarily live in the community or the neighborhood where the patients are that I serve. So just being able to hear that voice because we're only limited most times to the interaction where we are in the healthcare mm -hmm. system, it just opens your eyes so much to things that maybe just out of just the focus of being in medicine, we tend to miss if we're not paying attention. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we felt them being trained was really important to be really integrated into the clinical care team because, you know, as a physician, you have the role that you have. 
and you're taking on so much. And so now here's someone that can provide not just support to the patient and have a really great outcome, but also a support to the rest of the team that sees the patient, that's with the patient a lot of times um, and how to alleviate a lot of sometimes you know, like not just the clinical issues, but what we know as the structural determinants of health that really impact health outcomes for these patients. Like you don't have time to be a social worker and social workers right now are just inundated with so much because there's so much happening in our country right now. Um, people are hurting. Um, and again, we knew, you know, a lot of people had went the nurse navigation route but what we heard from women is that they wanted someone that not just looked like them, but had the same experiences like them. And we learned a lot from cancer and what cancer has been doing, integrating community-based people as patient navigators and said, well, why not do this for maternal health? It just makes sense. And it's something that you know hospitals can take up if they see that value added. And we can do even like a cost-benefit analysis to demonstrate that there's actual, there's a lot of cost savings um, for the hospital system as well. Well, how did you successfully pull in the care team? How did you motivate them? Because most times we can be very motivated and have a plan and then have something like COVID hit mm -hmm. or some changes in the hospital that kind of slows the momentum or getting people involved becomes more difficult. Can you speak to the successes in getting your team involved? Yeah, absolutely. So it was really about getting the care, like buy-in from the care team, right? And so having meetings um, with people in our department, with others at the safety net setting to say what, what would make your life easier as well. So we didn't just do interviews with women, but we also spoke to um, the care team and they, you know, had identified different gaps and you know, we had a discussion and it was like, well, you know, like what we learned from doulas is sometimes a doula is meeting a physician for the first time and that can create some tensions or, you know, some people, again, don't know what their scope of practice is, right? Um, and so you shouldn't be providing clinical advice if you're a doula that's a physician or a healthcare provider's um, thing to do. And so hearing what their concerns were um, having them attend meetings as we were developing the program, what were some of the needs, how can that be informed, and then actually having the navigators as they're getting trained also shadow a clinical care team so they know what everyone's role is, um, being integrated into the team meetings um, so that they can hear what's happening, meeting with um, hospitalists and others that serve in that role. And so there are these unique shadowing experiences that they have. It's a really intense program for a lay person, but it's super important for them to be connected to those clinical care teams um, so that they can know, put notes in, you know, in, in EMRs and stuff like that so that there's continuous um, communication. We also love to bring in clinicians into our community groups as well. Um, so that their voices are heard and uplifted and centered, um, because that's the only way we're going to get through this crisis. You know, everyone working in silos is not going to solve the issue. We all need to work together to ensure that everyone just has an amazing birthing experience um, and lives beyond that, right? Because once you give birth, 
actually that's when the most dangerous time starts is that postpartum period. And that's why our navigators provide support up through the first year postpartum, because that's a very critical time, particularly for high risk um, patients. Such great points, you know, and when you were talking and mentioning just everyone living the same experience and it oftentimes will feel siloed, right, because we're doing different roles on the team. But you're right, it's the same lived experience from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind. Yeah. And, and and you as a Black woman, a Black physician, know that, right? Like you, you want the best for your community. And, you know, it, we've been hearing how like physicians and other types of healthcare providers are feeling demonized in in this whole crisis. And we wanted to ensure that no one felt that way, that everyone knew that it was a team effort, that we're coming from unique disciplines in our minds, whether it's a lived experience, whether you're a nurse or you're a certified nurse midwife, you're a doula, whoever you are, you're all in it for the same cause. You all made oaths in different ways to serve and protect your patient population. Um, and we want everyone to feel connected. We want everyone to feel that it can work if we all put in our part and do it cohesively. Very true. Um, You know, Tennessee is a very varied state. Um, The east side of Tennessee looks very different than the west side of Tennessee, but everything you're saying matters to Tennessee and the patients that we serve. Um, You mentioned rural, you mentioned inner city, you mentioned different Mm -hmm. places. So I do believe that what we're hearing today will be keys to a great success in a change or even sustaining if we're already doing that in our cities and our hospital systems here. I'm so sure you are motivating many people as they're listening today in our healthcare systems and maybe even outside of the state of Tennessee. What resources are available for those providers who may be interested in starting to look more into respectful care at their organization? Absolutely. There are many great models that exist. I know ACOG has their version of respect for maternity care. A1, if you're an obstetric nurse or in the nursing field, they have a model of respectful care. Um, If you're more community oriented, um, the National Birth Equity Collaborative also developed uh, respectful um, maternity care. And again, it's for vast audiences, right? Because it's from that unique lens where you see a patient. There are community ones where um, that simulator is you actually simulate being a birthing person and trying to navigate the system and everyone has different roles. And then the one that Morehouse School of Medicine developed, you know, if anyone is interested, you can always reach out to us. We would love to do that, particularly with Tennessee, because we have very similar, you know, just being in the South, um, very similar structures. Um, As you mentioned, Dr. Tate, the rural versus the urban, um, a legacy of, you know, um, segregation and, you know, resource allocation and stuff. And so, Um, I think that there are many different resources and that's something that, you know, I think as a collaborative, um, we can come together and sort of figure out too, because people don't, you're right, people don't know where to go. Like, you're like, okay, what is this? And the first thing you do is Google, but then what do you know has been vetted that, you know, can demonstrate um, outcomes? Because anyone can say they created a respectful maternity care simulation or simulator or whatever you want to call it. 
uh, framework, but has it been tested? Um, has it been effective? And this is the time to see which one, right? Um, you prefer that matches your context because every context is really different. Very true. Um, if we do have patients listening, and we may be patients ourselves in the future, are there any resources for a patient as they're making sure they're heard, making sure their care is one that is all-encompassing and respectful, or maybe even a way for them to understand what's available and how to understand what will be provided for them when they seek care? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, most hospital systems have, you know, a social worker, um, someone that can connect you to the different resources that you need. Um, you know, you have an opportunity. Also, if you feel like you haven't been heard or you don't really have a support person, a doula or a community health worker or some type of patient navigator is such a great resource. Um, and again, you can, as a patient, Google and see who exists in your community. There's an organization called, um, if you're a Black birthing person, there's an organization called um, National Black Doula Association that can connect you to a doula that looks like you or can refer you. Um, you know, I think, you know, as a patient, you know, again, if you're not feeling heard, you have a right to, you know, change your provider if you feel like that's not an option. Again, that's where you can seek an advocate or seek someone. You know, we're so picky about who does our hair, who does our nails and stuff like that. And the same way we're picky with that, you have a right to think, okay, maybe I had an appointment with this provider and I wasn't so quite comfortable. Let me see who else is taking patients. I know sometimes we're so constrained, right? Because not everyone is taking you patients. Um, there's not a lot of time. Our systems are overburdened, but you still have that right to do that. And then come equipped with questions. Um, you know, what is it that you want to know? Sometimes, you know, we prepare for exams. Um, preparing for a birth is a huge responsibility. And so you have the right to come with questions. And if you feel your provider or layperson hasn't answered that, then seek out other peers in your community. You know, we have to get back to thinking about it takes a village. Um, and, you know, and that's something that's so innate in a lot of our culture and, and even in the South, right? Because it took a village to get the South where it is today and continue to have that mindset. Come prepared with your questions. Um, come prepared to challenge people. Um, come prepared to have consensus because sometimes you know, you you may think one thing and your provider may think something else. It doesn't mean it's a or. It can be an and or <laughs> let's work together to figure out the best care plan for you because your provider can only make you do so much, right? Um, you it it takes it takes both of us. It's think about it as like a mentor relationship. It takes two to really make it work, um, and you know just just be open minded and 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 know what you want to come out of this and 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 know that people are there to support you the resources out there um, there are many different programs like healthy starts um you know through the tip you know the your perinatal quality collaborative go to the website there are so many resources i i feel you know i i love my home state but like tennessee your perinatal collaborative is just 
phenomenal. And you have so many people there that care and want the best for you and know that they can be a really good resource for you too. Thank you for saying those kind words. We do make sure that we are working hard. And I can personally say that our teams across the state have such a passion for maternal health and making sure maternal health is actual health. So I do appreciate the teams across the state. You've mentioned throughout our talk here about maternal health disparities. I know we've touched on it here and there. And I know that's another area of special work for you, of expertise. And I would just love to spend our last few minutes talking about your work in maternal health disparities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with you know our being a historically Black college, Morehouse School of Medicine is really dedicated to the, the needs, the wants, and the supports of Black birthing people and other people of color. And I mentioned previously that there are a lot of inequities when it comes to maternal death, particularly pregnancy-related complications. Um, and the numbers are stark, right? And they've been in existence for over 100 years. I think we know more about it because we have MMRCs, um, which stand for Maternal Mortality Review Committees, because we're collecting beta, better data, but we can do even better, right? And so we're looking at First, the data collection. Um, maternal mortality review committees do a great job studying those that died, but we need to know what happened during that process. And so we wanted to talk to women who are alive um, to get a sense of where we can intervene. Um, the other thing related to maternal health inequities that we study too are the non-clinical causes, which we call the structural um, or political determinants of health, right? Um, to have equity, you need the resources that you need, the amount that you needed, and the times that you needed. Equality doesn't, you know, doesn't solve the issue. It's giving people what they need. And so we look at structural policies and how that has contributed to specific outcomes. Um, and I'll give you an example, right? Because a lot of people say, oh, well, women are having children older. So that's contributing, you know, some of us are called, you know, um, you know, mater advanced maternal age, right? Once you hit that 45, it's something happens or the fact that a lot of women are now obese, but black women who are of normal weight still have worse outcomes than women of all other racial and ethnic groups who are obese. Black women with college degrees still have worse outcomes than white women who drop out of high school. So there's something, even prenatal care, because another thing people be like, well, prenatal care. Black women who init initiate prenatal care early still have worse outcomes than white women who don't initiate any prenatal care. So it's not just about you know, the mother, because there's a lot of mother blaming. It's about our systems that were created in inequitable ways to begin with that lead to some of the outcomes that we have. And so some of those policies lead to why, and I'll give an example in, in Georgia, um, there are a lot of resources in North Atlanta, but there are not a lot of resources where black people live in South Atlanta. And a lot of that was redlining, right? Where you know, loans were made to people to live in particular areas and stuff like that. 
And so those are some of the things that we're trying to uncover and then figure out solutions because we know what the issues are. We're ready to start being on the ground and develop solutions and see if they work, right? Some of them are going to work and some of them are not. But then how do we come together to do that? And how are we not replicating things that don't are not effective and work on things that we know are demonstrating some type of evidence? Um, and then collaborations. You know, if you're going to do equity work, it involves collaborating with communities, collaborating with non-traditional partners. Um, so the Department of Transportation or, you know, your Georgia or your Department of Public Health in, in Tennessee. Um, or the local small organization that's not even brick and mortar, but you know are doing diaper drives, you know, because they have access to the communities that you want to partner with, but then also know the community because they're really embedded in there. No one's asking you as a provider or as someone as a part of the perinatal quality collaborative to be an expert in everything. You just need to learn how to partner with people that have that expertise because again, we're all better when we're working together and not in silos. Well, on that note, that was a great finish to an amazing discussion we've just had. I wanna thank you so much, Dr. Hernandez, for joining us today and sharing your wisdom with us and your expertise. And hopefully we'll have you back soon just to continue the discussion because I know we're now feeling even more motivated to make sure we're taking complete great care of patients. So again, I thank you today for your time. Thank Please, you. Yes, thank you. Uh, we'll have definitely the information Dr. Hernandez mentioned in the show notes today, along with other resources. Keep, uh, stay tuned. We will continue to have uh, discussions with maternal health experts to come. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.